based on my research, 80% of C-suite executives recognize they're missing the mark related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, but they don't know what to do about it. If you have a brain, you're biased. Like, it's the brain's threat detector, and those biases have been formed over millions of touch points you've had throughout your life. Welcome to the Making a Marketer podcast, the show for all levels of experience with the best guests in the industry. Now, more than ever, it's important to keep up on the latest marketing trends and topics, and this is just the spot. Get ready to learn and laugh with your hosts, Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing and Jen Cole with Now Marketing Group. Here we go. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 84 of the Making a Marketer podcast. I'm Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing, and my trusty co-host is Miss Jen Cole up there. Hi, Jen. How are you? Hey there. I'm doing wonderful. It's a beautiful Tuesday. It's kind of rainy, but hey, it's making me sleep good. It's 110 degrees in Portland right now, so you are at such an advantage. The Pacific Northwest is like, they're not used to dealing with heat. So Jen and I always end up talking about weather. This is Oh, yeah, we do. Um, And our guest today is the lovely Melissa Majors. Welcome, Melissa. Oh, hello, everyone. Well, it's a cool 86 here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Can you believe it? That is cool for June. Oh, it's very cool. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'm in San Diego, and it's, I don't know, 70. Oh, (laughs) rub it in. (laughs) 72, yeah, cloudy. Okay, so I want to give a little background for how we ended up with this lovely guest on with us today. Melissa spoke at the Global Meetings Industry Day conference, I guess. I mean, it was online, right? I don't know if they called it a conference or or whatnot, but right when she started talking, I was like, I have to have her um, (laughs) on the show. And so we chatted and she said she had a book coming out and I was like, tell me more. I have to have it. So I pre-ordered and she signed it for me. It's always lovely. I just want to, I'm going to read her bio, but there's a line in the book that I think is what helped us get to like, this is the topic of the show today is basically using inclusivity as a business advantage, which I think um, I'm, most leaders don't probably view it that way. But she said, An inclusion is more than a moral obligation. It's a competitive advantage. And I was like, that is gold. So I am going to read her bio. Melissa Majors, the inclusive leadership expert, CEO of Melissa Majors Consulting. She's an innovator and optimizer of education, inclusion, and leadership strategies. She has dedicated her career career to maximizing business impact associated with these areas of focus. The team at Melissa Majors Consulting has extensive experience and proven reputation for driving better business outcomes through innovation and inclusive strategic planning. They bring deep expertise in improving profitability and innovation, boosting organizational performance, and optimizing inclusion strategies. Melissa formally studied strategy and innovation at Harvard University. She's a cloud-pleasing speaker who masters brain-friendly talks that engage her audiences and spark not just inspiration, but action as well. Of course, she's been featured in all the things, Forbes, Smart Meetings, The Meeting Professional, North Star Meetings, uh, Group's Eventful Podcast. I could go on and on. And now you can add your podcast to that list. I can't wait. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) And she used to be Director of Global Education for Meeting Professionals International as well, which I love that you work there for a bit. I'm sure that being on the inside was an interesting thing, right? You were there for about a year or so? Yeah, I was there for about a year, but I've been a member of MPI for 15 years. They saved my can long ago in my career where I was responsible (laughs) for running events, but didn't know a doggone thing about how to run events. (laughs) 
And so I was like, Ooh, I better buy, find a place or who can help me figure this out. So I joined MPI and it's been a great run ever since. That's awesome. I think yeah. that happens to a lot of people wherever yeah. they work. It's like, yeah, we need this plan. Will you do it? You know, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. I think our listeners and our viewers are going to get some really incredible insight today into inclusion. And so I'm going to let Jen kick us off. You bet. All right. So diversity, equity, and inclusion are top of mind for so many people and brands. You use inclusion to refer to these things broadly, right? Like, Mm -hmm. can you describe for our viewers and listeners what inclusion is as a broad-based term and kind of how you refer to it? Yeah. Oh, Jen, that's such a good question because it's over-engineered. Everybody just kind of lumps it all into one big thing. So let's simply break this apart a little bit. Diversity is variety. Equity is making sure people have what they need to thrive. And inclusion is involving others equally. Inclusion is action. It's what you do to involve others equally. And that's the space where I really focus and play is helping leaders figure out how their brain can get in the way of involving others equally. And you had touched on this earlier, Megan, around the business case for inclusion. Based on my research, 80% of C-suite executives recognize they're missing the mark related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, but they don't know what to do about it. So that's where I come in. I help them figure out exactly what to do and then capitalize on the business benefit of being inclusive, which based on mounting research and evidence by McKenzie and company, the most inclusive companies are outperforming the least inclusive companies by 49% higher profitability. Like that's That's huge. It's amazing. It's a major competitive advantage. And it's a shame, not a shame, but it's an opportunity that more leaders don't know exactly how to capitalize and seize on that competitive advantage. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a very powerful thing. And you can see like when people are inclusive and they're all feeling as one in a certain thing, the culture seems to kind of come out genuinely and in a big and powerful way to overflow to where fans and even and family members and you know everybody involved with the company or brand can get in on that. No doubt. I am personally, I am finding that I am drawn more to companies that have proven they have been inclusive since they were created. Like I'm changing cosmetic companies and things like that, not because I wasn't satisfied, but I believe in the power of it. And I'm just, I'm more drawn to companies that are putting their money where their mouth is. Right. Yeah. It's, it's really good to see that. That's a very uh, powerful message. And and it, it shows all of us that we can see a little bit of ourselves everywhere, which is really good. Really nice. Yeah. Well, and I'm looking for a job right now. And, and I look at that, I'm looking at that about us board and I'm seeing or page and I'm seeing a board of like all white men, like maybe a token woman, you know, here and there. And I'm just like, ah, like, I probably don't want to work at a place that still has that like whitewash, right? non-inclusive, non-diverse sort of board. Yeah. So, but there's, it's a challenge, you know, once you have yeah. those leaders in place, turnover slow and things like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to take people to be able to join organizations, influence up, influence the business case for why. So, I am a big believer in not making people feel guilty for who they are and their inherent beliefs. And I think at times also we we have a tendency to vilify people who are in power right now. And so I'm really intentional about trying not to do that. So even though those companies at the top may still look like that doesn't mean they aren't trying to change and they may need your voice. 
and you could bring a different perspective to be the one to drive that change. That's true. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I knew. See, I knew. I got my thinking. Get that light bulb. Wow. Right. Warning. <laughs> <laughs> so after I got your book, I posted to social media that it will likely be the most important book I read this year. And I truly believe that. And as I'm looking for a job too, I'm looking for leadership, you know, because I've been working a long time. I'm looking to be. And so I feel like it's like, you know, a guidebook for hopefully something I'm going to be able to use as I, you know, hopefully go into leadership at a company. So I stand by that statement that I made. What motivated you to write the book and what surprised you the most about the process? Well, first of all, thank you. Best compliment ever. I really appreciate and appreciate your advocacy as a writer, as uh, an educator, the knowing that I'm able to make an impact and position people to actually do something with the concepts that I share. That's my dream come true. And I know my life's purpose. My gift is educating others. And so what really motivated me to write this book, it's based on my signature keynote speech, which is the seven simple habits of inclusive leaders. And the feedback I get from people, they're like, whoa, you know, mind blowing. You know, it's not just that they're entertained, they're taking action and changing behavior. And I thought I need to get this message out to the world, to more people. And I know that by writing a book, it'll help me to do that. Oh, it wasn't easy. Like the first year I kind of sat on the idea and the concept and then I dictated, this is a a tip for anybody who's looking to write a book. I dictated my keynote speech and let an AI powered software just dictate it. That became my first draft. And as I started reading, I got obsessed with it and I just couldn't stop editing and digging and adding. And then about 45 days later, boom, I had a book. Like I had a very good first draft. And so that just that kickstart dictating my speech really helped me get going. And then it it all just happened and it launched and published on May the 3rd of this year. And I've sold 600 copies already. And I'm so humbled and honored by the impact it's making. That's amazing. Well, we'll get you some more. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They can go to storystore.us to order a copy and I will sign it just like I autograph and sign and put a personal message in every book that I send out. Oh, that's so awesome. Thank you. Okay, so, so what are some things that leaders can do when they're committing to an inclusive style of leadership? Like what separates an inclusive leader from the rest? Mm, couple different things. Well, based on my book, there's seven different categories of shared behaviors that inclusive leaders have that non-inclusive leaders don't have. And one of the biggest areas is in hiring practices. So our brain is naturally wired to prefer familiarity. Like we like to be comfortable. We like to be surrounded and build teams where there's going to be camaraderie and people fit in. But what we know is that more diverse teams are outperforming homogeneous teams because they have different perspectives and viewpoints and those different viewpoints are creating more innovative products and services as a result. So they're higher performing. And so during the hiring process, you really have to be intentional about hiring for difference, not familiarity. And so that's one really big thing that inclusive leaders do that others don't. They're intentional about building teams of difference, not the same. And some other things that inclusive leaders do is they make sure everybody has the psychological safety to speak up and feel heard. Like everybody's voice matters. 
But so often in group conversations, you have a person who is, has the power, they're more influential, and they end up guiding in the conversation. But it doesn't matter where the best idea comes from, whether it's from the boss or just anybody. Inclusive leaders make sure everybody can speak up and really be heard. And one of this is a tactic. Here's a tip. One thing that they do is something called target practice. So if they're coming up with an idea, they will proactively make it okay for people to disagree with them. And they say, tell me all the reasons why shoot holes through this idea. Tell me all the reasons why this might not work. And it creates that uh, permission and psychological safety for everybody to say, you know, you might want to consider this or this isn't such a great idea. And those, those are some of the things that inclusive leaders do that others don't. Yeah, I can totally see a lot of that because we all know that, I mean, it's a cliche, it's an adage, but collaboration over competition. I mean, the more constructive feedback you can give something and the more ways that you can see there's going to be holes in something, the way that you can patch that over, get ahead of it, and then like put out something that's going to be absolutely phenomenal for everyone. And and the cool thing is a lot of people get to take ownership in it instead of just one person. So powerful. Yes. And then they buy in. And even when times get tough, they're still bought in and they'll have help, you know, work through those difficult times. Excellent point, Jen. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So the opposite of inclusion is exclusion, right? As I say, I'm looking for work. I also have always felt like if you hired for the person versus the skill set, but now apparently if you hire for culture, that's considered a bad thing, right? Because that's considered like a form of exclusion or non-inclusion. Is that accurate or what's what's your thought on that? What I have always done is I take inventory of the experience and the skills of the people on my existing team. And I ask myself, what's the gap that we need to fill? Is it in marketing strategy? Isn't it administrative? Like, what is the gap we need to fill? And I intentionally look for people that can fill that gap because they round everybody else out. And so as you go into an organization, I think it's really wise for you to ask questions like, what is your team really strong at? And what do they need help with? And if you align, your skills align with their gap, you're the one for the job. And they'd be silly not to hire you. And I would put it just like that. I love that. I, I did yeah. make the joke that I'm I'm interviewing potential employers, not the other way around. Nice. Yes, um, you are. Yes, you are. And you should go into it that way. Absolutely. Yeah. One of your quotes that stuck out to me is this. Exclusion is like dust in the air. You don't see it in the dark. Turn on the light and you realize it's everywhere, which I just find amazing. Thank so you. do you have a tip for leaders on where to start to illuminate that exclusion or the dust? Oh, yeah. Uh, Biases. Like, do you think, okay, I'm going to put you on the spot, both of you. Are you biased? Of course. We all are. Yeah. Okay. It's natural, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. But a lot of people are afraid to admit they're biased. Uh If you have a brain, you're biased. Like, it's the brain's threat detector. And those biases have been formed over millions of touch points you've had throughout your life. And so we all have biases. But because so many people are afraid that if they admit they're biased, they're admitting they're racist or a bigot or, you know, a homophobe or something like that. But when you embrace your bias, you can start to identify patterns of your bias and who you might be prejudiced toward. And when you do that, you can use that cool little tool, that's a new tool we have in our brains, our prefrontal cortex, which allows us to rationalize things. And it differentiates us from other vertebrates, like other animals who react simply because of instinct. Humans don't have to do that. And we don't have to let those unconscious thoughts control our actions and our behavior. If you know, after paying attention to those 
pesky little unconscious thoughts that say somebody might not be trustworthy or they're, they're less smart or those snap judgments that are negative. Once you pay attention to those and you realize you think those thoughts often when you're dealing with groups of people like this person, then you can catch yourself. You label your, your prejudices and you can work even harder to overcome them and judge people based on their, their content of their character and not those biases. So embrace your bias. Don't deny they exist. And when you do that, you'll be able to mitigate those biases from controlling your actions. I love that. Thank you. Okay. That's amazing. Okay. And I just wanted to point out, thank you, Cass, for being here. He says, such an honor to listen and learn from Melissa Majors. Her wisdom is gold indeed. Oh, Cass McMahon. Uh And if anybody has any questions, please put them in the comments. We are midway and we don't do this normally on the live shows because Jen and I usually just host every other one, but we like to take a brain break, little something in the middle to break up the show. So I want to know from everybody, what in-person event are you most excited about attending next? And I have a feeling Jen and I are going to have the same answer, (laughs) but I'm going to let her go first. (laughs) Okay. So Megan, your answer is going to be how the same as mine I can tell you right now so I have I have these two worlds I have my Wichita world and then I have the world outside of Wichita you know and so tomorrow we have social media day Wichita because tomorrow's social media day for those of you who That's don't right. know June 30th is social media day so tomorrow night we have a free event and we're focusing on TikTok and it's gonna be a lot of fun first time back together in a year and a half I am very very excited but also man I am just overflowing with excitement for social media week Lima here in August in Lima, Ohio. It's a conference that the company that I work for, Now Marketing Group, puts on every single year except for last year. And I, I'm, I'm dying to see everyone. I'm just literally dying to see everyone. I cannot wait. Yes, me too. I just registered yesterday. So uh, I'm going to be there. And we joke, it's like summer camp. Yeah. I'm going to be like with all our friends at summer social media camp. <laughs> <laughs> so true though. <laughs> yes, for sure. Melissa, what about you? I mean, I, I know you've already, you've, you've had like a speaking. Did you go to WEC? I did. I've been on the road okay. for two weeks last week. Okay. And Jen, I know you were in Ohio. So I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio. And I was at a conference in Cleveland last week and was between Cleveland and Columbus the week before I was in Vegas at MPI's WEC. And let me tell you, they always do a great job. But all of the attendees were craving in-person experience so much. It was just magical. Like it was so great just being like, like you said, like at summer camp with all your friends and, and MPI did such a wonderful job with duty of care and things like that. So that was wonderful. But what I'm looking most forward to is my family reunion in August. Oh, oh yeah. I can't wait to get together with my family in person, masks off, games on, beer in hand like we are going to let our hair down and enjoy being with each other that's that's the one i'm looking forward to the most that's amazing yeah jen has two worlds her company's based in lima but she's in wichita okay gosh okay uh, yeah. And it's funny because our friend Damien always made the joke lima i thought i was going to lima (laughs) (laughs) yeah not this time (laughs) (laughs) i love it all right. So Jen, kick us kick us off our set. Well, I want us to say also thank you for those who are watching and listening. And Cass said, oh, basketball games. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Sporting events. That was my, on the last show, I talked about how that I got tears in my eyes walking down the concourse at the Padres game. Like it was, oh, I mean, honestly, it was so over the moon. Hi, Candy. Uh, Candy, Candy said WC is awesome, especially seeing you, Melissa. I love it. Oh, it was great. Thank you, Candy. Okay, Miss Jen. All right. 
So I was looking through your blog last night and something that I read just really, uh, it touched my soul because I had just been at my boys baseball game and it's something that I've experienced myself. Inclusivity truly does energizes our spirits. I've seen it when my boys play on their team because they're energized when they're doing good. They're energized when people praise them. And then I've experienced it, you know, among my peers, myself, like sometimes I'm intimidated by the people around me and I don't necessarily feel as included as the, as the rest of the people. And sometimes I'm the one that's probably likely forgetting to include somebody. And I, you know, there's a true difference in our energy level when we truly feel like we're part of something. So what do you think the explanation for this is physiologically? Well, we are wired for social connection. Like you heard of Maslow's hierarchy that says uh, yeah. food, shelter, water is what we need to survive. A couple years ago, uh, neuroscientist Matthew Lieberman challenged that a bit. And he said the social connection is just as important as food, shelter, water. And he explains, if you think about it as babies, we're dependent on another human being to survive. And that connection carries on throughout our lives. And so if I were to ask you, what was the most painful experience you ever went through? You likely won't say it was a broken arm or childbirth, although that was rough. You know, anything like nothing physical. You would probably describe when you lost a loved one. That social disconnection is so powerful. It can be so painful. And that's what happens when people are excluded. It literally hurts because pain is processed. Social pain is processed in the same region of our brain as physical pain. So it literally hurts. And Matthew tested this. He said, if you don't believe me, take a Tylenol and it eases the symptoms of social disconnection. So long story short, because we are wired for social connection, when you feel like you really belong with a group, you're going to thrive. You're going to be involved. You're going to do your best. You're going to help everyone. And that translates to the workplace as well. When you work somewhere where you belong, you're included, and you are involved and wanted and welcome to be there for as different as you are, that belonging correlates to better performance on the job. And so I, I always try to tie it not just to the right thing to do, but there is a business case for making sure people feel uh, and experience belonging at work and everywhere else too. And it's because of social connection. Wow. That's so powerful. Yeah. Like it's something that I noticed, like it does physically hurt. Like my hands hurt. I don't know about you, but my hands kind of tingle, like burn a little bit when I'm hurt. You know, you get that little feeling in your chest of like overwhelm and it is a physical thing. And I don't think that I've ever actually realized that before this conversation and reading your article last night. Oh, thank you. I'm glad I was able to create that. Uh That's so important because also we as humans will avoid at all costs that feeling of pain. Right. So like what you were saying, Megan, earlier about choosing a job, if you think you're going to be in a place where you won't belong, you will avoid that at all costs because it creates a physical pain, which we don't want. And so, you know, a lot of non-dominance in, in organizations who feel excluded often cope with that social pain by leaning back, you know, staying kind of under the radar, not speaking up and eventually resigning or quitting because of the social pain associated with it. So, and Jen and I are both empaths. So like we take it on and I find myself even like, it's funny because this is just what made me think if I'm watching a movie or something where I'm like, oh, I can feel it. I feel it like in my chest when I like the pain that someone else is feeling in a movie. That's so interesting. That's how we're wired. Yeah. There's science for it. Yeah. Yeah, there's science backing that. Absolutely. And some people have those more keener instincts like you and Jen, but we all, we feel that pain. 
And, um, yeah, I was on a flight from Dallas or from Columbus back to Dallas the other day. And there was a guy in front of me, he was starting to have an anxiety attack and it just wore me out that all the other people around him were just kind of ignoring it. They didn't pay attention. Like it wasn't that important to him, but I felt so connected to this guy. Long story short, I gave him one of my kids Dramamine in 15 (laughs) minutes. He was out, like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) But, but you know, you, you feel for the people around you there, there is that human to human connection and that energy that we share. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wonder um, how remote work is going to affect this inclusiveness situation. Like I know some people are going back to the office and stuff, but I think one of the things that the pandemic did is create situation where they realized, you know, they're going to allow people to work from home still if they want to and whatnot. But I, I, I have been asking those questions of like, well, what are you doing to still create camaraderie and a sense of teamwork and all of that, even in remote situations. So you, that explanation that you just gave, like, is like, that makes me think too, like leaders should really be on top of that. Absolutely. You have to do that. I was fortunate enough to run a remote team for about three years. Everybody was scattered all about the globe. And let me tell you, we were really intentional about creating online parties and making sure everybody was connected and they could all feel heard. And the team went from a real fixer upper to an industry winning award team in two and a half years. And we were all remote. So this can, it can be done. You have to be mindful about it. What's hard is when you have some people in the office and some at home, it's just, it's a different experience. You have to be even more intentional about making sure everybody can speak up and be heard. Nobody gets lost. Yeah. That's actually the only time I didn't like remote work was when, cause I felt like I wasn't getting, I wasn't having those water cooler conversations. Exactly. I heard about this tool called donut that I get, apparently it sits on top of Slack and, um, Somebody was telling me that they have their teams, like they're randomly paired pairs of people for an hour a week, and they aren't allowed to talk about work. Oh, whoa. <laughs> Which I found to be really interesting, right? Like a way, and then you would, you would end up getting to know someone much more deeply than you would if you're just passing them in the hall and asking them how their weekend was. No doubt. So, yeah. Wow. That's cool. That's even like so, taking it a step further. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I could see Jessica doing that with you guys. I think that would be cool. She she is very mindful. Yeah. Well, she's the relationship person. Like, so of course she does. I'm sure. (laughs) This Jen's boss, our good friend, Jessica Phillips. So, all right. So let's play off uh, Jen's question a little bit. That that was a bonus question. See, I told you sometimes things (laughs) things and it's like, things kind of take a different turn. Um, Yeah. So taking into account that idea that inclusion can energize our spirits, how can companies use this theory to strengthen loyalty to their brand? And this kind of gets into that, like, and we're seeing, you know, every company's icon right now is rainbow, right? Mm-hmm. So I always wonder, like, how much is performative versus, like, a true, real, is this really how things are other than the month of June? No, oh, yeah. Great question. Great question. So most too many strategies are optics level. As I mentioned, 80% of C-suite executives know they're missing the mark related to diversity and inclusion. They don't know what to do about it. So there's a lot of optics level stuff out there, public statements, celebratory months for heritage months and things like that. But you got to show me where, how it's operationalized into everything you do. That's where it really matters. That's how you benefit from the business advantage of being inclusive. And looking back, I used to do a lot of work in Dubai and wow. our office was close to the beach. Oh, it was so gorgeous. Like uh-huh. it was amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> Super hot, but amazing. And I used to watch these women in their full traditional Muslim garb sitting on the sidelines, watching their young children and their husbands play in the water. 
and they're just sitting out there in all this heat and all this full garb. A couple of years later, Nike came out with the Nike Pro Women's Hijab, and it was conducive to swimming and physical exercise and things like that. And I don't remember the exact number, but the year after they went to market with that product, I think they increased their sales by 18%. And it was attributed to empathizing with the unique needs of this market that had been excluded and ignored. And so as a marketer and a developer of products and services, it behooves you to pay attention and really empathize with the needs of people versus just relying on the perspectives of the muckety mucks that sit at the top of your company, you know, who, whose wife isn't sitting on the sidelines, right? Like you really need to empathize with the people you serve, understand what their voices are in the process and make sure that's incorporated in your product uh, design. Gosh, that is so powerful. I love that they did that. That is absolutely amazing. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I mentioned (laughs) earlier before we went online that I'm gravitating toward companies that are proving through operations and things like that, not just optics level, but really proving their commitment to inclusion uh, for all people. And you just, you have to be able to incorporate different voices to get that perspective because we are not all knowing, like we don't have the perspective of everybody. And so you need to make sure that you're incorporating more voices into the design of your products and services. And you can do the same thing. Yeah, Olaf wants his voice heard. That's her dog. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I forgot that I was not on mute. The doorbell rang. <laughs> He's so cute. <laughs> it's all good. It is all good. This is real life, honey. He has a space here. He belongs here. <laughs> <laughs> Poor little man. He feels so trapped. Uh, well, so, you know, if brands are trying to truly implement inclusion into their marketing strategy, where do you think a good place to start would be? Like back at the very beginning, inventory your social circle and the people on your team. Like if you have a team of, let's say you have a team of all black females and the segment that you're trying to serve are gay white men. Like you need to have the voice of some gay white men on your team because you'll be building products and services based on what you think they need versus what they really need. So inventory your team and inventory your customer base and identify where there are gaps and make sure that you're intentional about fulfilling those gaps with authentic voices who can help round out your perspective. That's step number one. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. I was just going to say, sorry, auditing is super important. And that's one thing I do with my clients. And I want to audit internally and I want to audit externally. How do the customers or prospects or employees really feel about how they're being communicated with and how the, the company is communicating outwardly and I mean all the things and and I think and sometimes leadership doesn't want that like actually when I was getting my master's I had I worked for a company that will go I won't name names but they didn't want me because I, I had as an assignment, I had to do one of these communication audits and I wanted to do it for the company that I was working for. And they said, no, like they didn't want to know. I was like, nice. okay, that's interesting. And then I ended up going to work for a nonprofit who was like, yes, bring it on, <laughs> audit away, you know? So anyway, so yeah, sorry, no. Jen, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're okay, no it's, you're okay. it's a, I'm glad you shared that story because a lot of companies, they don't want to know because they think they already know. Right. Or they don't want to know the bad stuff. Or they don't want to know the bad stuff. Yeah. Well, you know what? You're going to find out now or you're going to find out when your company's failing in a couple of years. So would you rather find out now so you can fix it? You know, kind of that's the question is it comes down to do you want to stay comfortable or do you want to be high performing? And if you want to stay comfortable, keep up with status quo. If you want to be high performing, you need to be more disciplined and inclusive and make sure you're pulling in the insights of your customers. Like that's step number one. No, for sure. 
I love it. Okay. So you said the name of your book, but I want to say it again. And then um, we have just a couple more questions. And again, if anybody's on the broadcast, if you want to ask Melissa a question, we would love to have you ask it. The Seven Simple Habits of Inclusive Leaders, a guilt-free guide on how to boost innovation and performance by involving others equally. So awesome. And here it is. I'm going to show everyone. Woo! get online and um, the (laughs) link to to purchase it will be in the show notes because everyone should have this book. Even if you don't consider yourself in leadership, like she was saying before, you know, you can manage up. I mean, I I have, I've worked with some people recently who it was interesting because I, I didn't want to overstep, but I felt I could feel that they were really wanting me to manage up. They were wanting me to tell them what to do or like, you know, really give my perspectives, which I appreciated, but I don't think I, I don't think I did a great job of, because there's that balance, right? Of, well, you don't want to tell them what to do or, you know, but so, um, I love that. I feel like this, there'll be really good tips in here for people to, to help people to, to do that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for the shout out for the book. I appreciate that. And people can get their copy at storystore.us. And uh, the other thing I, I wanted to say about the book, although it's titled Leaders, we are all leaders. If we have influence and we can drive change, whether you're a leader of yourself, you're a leader of people, you're a leader of initiatives or projects, it's for everybody. I mean, there are examples in there on how we can all include others equally and kind of break out of our own perspectives and make sure that we do that. And so don't feel like you need to be a people manager for this book to be relevant for you. Right. I love that. Okay. So then that's, so this is my question. What's the biggest thing that you, hope people take away from the book. The I know it's probably thing. hard to name. It's probably hard to name one, but no, yeah. <laughs> no. The yeah. biggest thing is that we forgive ourselves. When you realize the impact and influence that your biases have had over your behavior, you have to forgive yourself when you become aware. Like you didn't realize. So don't beat yourself up about it. And for those people who have been impacted by other people's biases, forgive them. Like the brain is to blame, not people. So the biggest message is forgiveness. And regardless of your religious beliefs, there's a a passage in there from the Bible and Luke that says, forgive them, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And it's, it's not a religious book at all, but it's just a really good reminder that so many of us don't realize we're excluding people. And when we do realize it, forgive yourself, but do better. And actually with this podcast, I will tell you that this time last year, I was like, oh, like I never picked a guest at the exclusion of anyone else, but I need to do better. And so from that moment, may have made a concerted effort to have more variety in faces and voices. And yeah, and it's funny too, because I have people I'm booking like farther out and I'm like, cause I don't know, there's like six white people. Like I can't have them all in a row. <laughs> Scheduling. I'm like, I can't, I need more diversity. And so for you. Like, I was surprised you booked me so far out. And I said, well, we only do two a month. First of all, we're not weekly, but also I'm keeping those spots because I want more variety and everything about our guests. Wonderful. So. Good for you. That's progress. And just being aware prepares yeah. you to do things differently. That's what this is about. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So other than your book, which of course everyone should have, what's a good business book that you would recommend for our listeners and viewers? Oh, for your listeners and viewers, I would recommend Chris Voss's Never Split the Difference. He was the head lead hostage negotiator for 15 years. I have a major crush on this guy. I mean, like I gobble up everything that he offers. My husband knows. Don't worry. It's not, it's not a secret. <laughs> I'm not worried. <laughs> he provides some really, really good just tips on tactical empathy, listening to people who you may disagree with, but listening to understand. And then just some kick-ass tips on negotiation. Like, and negotiation. 
negotiation, not just in business deals, but in everyday interaction and meetings. You really want to have your perspective be heard. He provides some really great tips on that. So Chris Bosses never split the differences at the top. Next, I would have to say Miss Brene Brown, Braving the Wilderness. It's one of her older books, but it is a real goodie. I think it was written before its time. I, I hope everybody gets a copy and reads that this year. Perfect. Yeah. And I always put the books in the show notes. And so oh, cool. I will, I will add those too. And Candy says, I like your comment about us all being leaders. Figuring out how to lead from where you are is powerful. Yeah, I agree. I agree so much. And for me, like one of the things I think is most valuable in a leader just on that is uh, someone who can admit they're wrong. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's so powerful. Yeah. Like if you've ever had a boss who's like, like they just can't admit it. And it's like, Oh, come on. Yeah. Right. We all. Yeah. And you know, own up to it and say, I was wrong. Be accountable for it. It earns so much more trust than trying to BS your way through. Right. And Candy is one of the most amazing influential leaders at San Diego state university. I, I have to give a huge shout out to Candy and everything that she's doing to influence change and in all the people that she touches. Candy, I appreciate you, my dear. Yes, for sure. I got to work with her for a little while. You did. Awesome. Yeah, I was doing social media for the HDM program. Oh, so wonderful. thanks for being here, Candy. So yeah, so this is the last episode of season four. We've been going since August of 17, which just wow. blows my mind that we've Me been too. doing this for, for four years. And so, <laughs> and like I did last July, I'm going to do some bonus episodes in July that'll be like in between. But what is cool is that you get to come back because we do a reunion show. Um, and yeah, we invite every guest who's been on in the previous season. Then we split them up into groups. And so every 15 minutes we rotate groups Ooh. and we do two one hour shows. It's two parter, but it's a riot. It's a lot of fun. So and it's fun. just basically like catch up. Everyone gets asked one question and we just have a really good time. It's, it's, it's funny. Somebody um, who's a podcaster, Pat Helmers, he listened to the first episode of my show he listened to was one of those. And he said, that was crazy because, you know, as a podcaster, I think he was also trying to figure out how, like, how did you, how do you do how to wrangle all those cats for sure? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would love so to fun. participate. It has been a blast having this conversation, a real honor to be on the show. Thank you both. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you. I mean, this is the perfect show to end the season on. And I'm so grateful that you were able to make the time for us and everybody go out and buy her book. Go for it. Storystore.us. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. And Miss Jen, thank you for being my sidekick for four awesome years. And we are booking guests for season five, as I mentioned. So please go ahead and send us a DM. Our Twitter is like the best way to get a hold of us. And it's at Make a Marketer. And um, yeah, if you DM us on there, we will see if how if we can fit you in. And as people probably notice, it's a marketing podcast, but we also are very much wanting to just cover broad-based business good business stuff, which obviously this totally, but then Jen managed to work the branding and mark into it with her. <laughs> okay. So, y'all gotta um, go, go ahead and put a shout out and um, put Cass McMahon on the hot seat. You gotta hear Cass, like one of the best brains in the business, all things marketing, all things inclusion. You gotta talk to Cass. So Cass, go ahead, hit him up so you can be on the show too. Yes, please. Yes. That'd I would be love amazing. that. I would love that. Okay. Y'all thank you everyone who watched live who is watching the replay, who is listening on the podcast and all the places. We appreciate you so much. And we will catch you in season five. Thanks, y'all. We'll catch you next time.